If you have your Bible, I want to read from Matthew one twenty three once again uh, on the subject, God in the midst, God in the midst. As you hear all the Christmas songs this year, particularly the hymns that represent the faith, not not uh, Randolph the Root Nose Red Deer or, or, you know, that's a good song. And I enjoyed it as a child. I still, well, I don't think that was the way it goes, was it? I think it's Rudolph. Okay. I'm just seeing if you were listening. Amen. <laughs> anyway, you were listening, by the way. You looked at me like a calf at a new gate. Hallelujah. God is good today. All the time. God in the midst, the secret of all spiritual blessings. Matthew, listen for this. We're going to read it from Matthew one twenty three. But listen in all the hymns for the term Emmanuel. The hymn writers of old and the great, great hymns of the faith at Christmas time have to do with God coming to become one with us and one of us and to indwell us. Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Amen. Listen to this carefully. Matthew one twenty three. the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Now he would be named Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. That's the specific name given unto him. It's a common name. It's like Tom or John. In that day, Jesus, because of Joshua being a great leader and a great champion to the nation of Israel, Jesus is Joshua, Yeshua, you can hear that term. But he's a savior like no other. It's not like someone who defeated a foe, who led an army to victory to defend Israel. It's not that kind of a savior, but a savior that would save us from our sin and save us for eternity, seal us for eternity. Amen. But he would be given a title, and that title would be Emmanuel. God wanted us to know that this baby was God incarnate, Emmanuel, God in the flesh. The New Testament said great with, without any, any kind of controversy about it. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. And the Bible warns us about missing that and people missing that and people not confessing that. And it said that the spirit of Antichrist doth already work in First John. When it says he that's within you is greater than he that's in the world, it's not all about more power than the power of the enemy. It's about knowing the truth about a person. For every spirit that does not confess that Christ has come in the flesh, that the Messiah has come in the flesh, literally saying and meaning that God was incarnate, that God came in flesh, to wit, God was in Jesus Christ, reconciling the world unto himself at and on the cross. It's an incredible truth. This little baby was God come in flesh, God condescending, God coming down, amen, seeking to save that which was lost. What, what a wonderful Savior that we have today. And every spirit that does not confess this great truth is Antichrist. 
There's a lot of things under the banner of Christian that doesn't have the core beliefs that make Christianity Christianity. And that's a serious thing today. You can't buy into just anything. God in the midst, God with us, not just for us, not God above us in heaven, but God with us on earth. Not just the most high God, therefore, but the most nigh God. Jesus in the midst, therefore, is the key to Christian peacefulness. Peacefulness. I believe one thing that sets us apart from the world about us and the great testimony of every believer should be that in the time of such chaos and trouble and pressure, if we're able to achieve God's peace and have God's peace ruling in our life and in our mind, people notice that. On Monday morning when I was bivocational working in a production plant, people that had partied and drank and done things while they were drinking that they hoped their wife or husband didn't find out, they, they come with guilt and they come with hangovers and they come with headaches to work. I remember being in the locker room changing into our uniforms uh, because this is a, a, a food processing, ice cream plant, milk plant, juice plant, water plant. And I remember getting into my uniform, getting out of my street clothes. And I, I don't know, it was just Monday morning. We had a glorious service on Sunday. I came in, amen, just enjoying Jesus. I don't even know what I was whistling, amen, or what I was humming. But I was whistling a tune, of a happy song, a happy song on Monday morning. And it got bothered somebody on the other side of the locker. This is the change of shifts. And somebody on the other side of the locker, probably with the hangover, said, Who is that on the other side of the aisle of the lockers? So happy on Monday morning. Upset that I was happy. You know what I mean? I mean, misery does, in fact, love company. But someone answered. I didn't have to answer. Someone answered and said, that must be the rev. Now you understand I'm whistling. They're not recognizing my voice. and I'm not singing the high praises of God. I'm just happy. He said, that must be the rev. That's what they call me at work, the rev. said, he's got that deep, settled peace within. Amen. You see, happiness is not based on happenings. Because if it was based on happenings, you're going to be unhappy most of your life. Because Jesus said, in this world, how many are still in this world? You haven't, you know, you're not from Mars or Neptune or Saturn or some other world. In this world, this fallen world, in this faulty, how many still in a body that is not incorruptible and it's not, you know, there's no supermen or superwomen here. You're, you're not more powerful than a locomotive in yourself. I'm talking about you're really not. I used to bench press. Forgive me while I fall into vanity. I used to bench press 315 pounds. I used to warm up with 225 pounds of weights. And I'm a small guy. I don't know if you've noticed that. My, my, uh, not this way. I'm talking about this way. Uh, <laughs> now I'm a full gospel preacher. But back then I was, I was 160, uh, 160 pounds, 158, 160. And to be able to almost twice your body weight, I was in good physical condition. But I didn't. I lost the peace of God. I took on myself burdens. 
And I kept those burdens. I was misreading a scripture. The apostle Paul spoke of that that come upon me daily, the care of all the churches. And what I missed was First Peter 5, 7, casting all of your care upon him because he cares for you. I didn't give it to God. I carried it, and I carried it as a badge of my commitment and my sacrifice to serve Jesus. And it overwhelmed me. And I got up one morning with anxiety, nervous exhaustion, all kinds of health issues began to come. And I thought, Lord, I, 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 I'm so sorry. I, 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 this is not supposed to be happening to me. But I was so glad when I got through that, went to work, that that deep, settled peace was achieved in my own personal life. Amen. And people notice it when it's there. And it brings a happiness that the world can't achieve because, you know, some things always happen. Stuff happens all the time. You've got a car, you're going down the road, it starts making noise, and you've got a transmission that's completely ruined. The car is not worth what it costs to fix it, and you've got to do something about that. Things happen. Bad things happen to good people all the time. It's not unusual. Think it not strange, unique to you as a Christian, that, the, that a fiery trial has come as some strange thing has happened unto you. Join, join the Christian community. Amen. Listen to the words of Jesus. My peace I give unto you. It's not as the world gives, give I unto you. If you want to know what the world can offer you, look in the dictionary and look up peace. And it simply says the cessation of wars. The ceasing of conflict. I mean, we're, we're in a war. We're in a battle. Paul said, I, I see a battle going on within me. The flesh is warring against my spirit. The spirit is warring against my flesh, and I can't do the things that I would do. How, and he got so exhausted from the battle that's going on. He said, oh, wretched man. Wretched in the Greek meant someone who is battle fatigued, literally fought until they don't have any energy left to fight. my son loves boxing and I sit down with my son that's still with us and and watch boxing with him and and you'll listen to the commentators that that can see when the fatigue is setting in and a guy is throwing punches and bunches but he's wobbly on his legs. Those big part of your body that's that that calls for the most oxygen and blood flow when you start fatiguing the legs begin to show it even though you're throwing with your arms punches and bunches and when those when when that little wobble came in the legs i remember one of the commentators saying look at his legs he's not going to last another round and sure enough he went out the next round and got knocked out cold Friend of mine, the peace of God is to sustain you in a fallen world and a faulty body. And that's why Jesus said, don't expect it to come by having no problems and no pressures. Peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. In this world, you shall have tribulation. Greek word is thelpsis, which means pressure and anguish. But be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You see, this world overcoming Savior 
walked in a fleshly body down here, just like you and me. And he said, when the pressure is on and when the trouble comes, run to me. Come to me, you that labor and are heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in spirit, and you shall find what the world can't find or buy with anything they've got. You shall find rest for your soul. That means peace for your mind. Praise God. Hallelujah. Someone said if you can if you can keep keep if you can keep your mind when everybody's losing theirs, you probably don't understand the situation. No, you can comprehend all of the dangers. You can experience all of the pressures. And in the midst of that you can have deep, settled peace within. I needed to read 1 Peter 5, 7 for myself and not just preach it to you guys. Casting all of your care upon him. And that means the care of the church, the care of my ministry, the care of everything, the care of my son who left home and went crazy. Anybody got any? I'm not going to ask you. about. Any, have you got any crazy children? <laughs> Amen. I think all children are crazy for a little while. Because I was a child at one time, and I went crazy too, amen? But God is good. God is good. I love it from the Amplified Greek. It says, casting all of your care, the whole, this is all of it. This is not most of it. Casting all of your care, the whole of your anxiety, once and for all upon him, because he cares for you and watches over you affectionately. Can you, that's why Jesus said, cheer up, cheer up, cheer up. I am with you every step of the way. That's why Emmanuel is so important. It's God with us because he's come to live within us. You know why Jesus is in the midst today? Two or more of us gathered together in my name. Where's he located? Let's locate him. Is he sitting aloof in his heaven? Is he in some big auditorium where thousands are gathered? No, he said, where two or more gather in my name, there. Let's locate him today. There am I in the midst of them. And why is he in the midst of us? He said, if two of you on earth shall agree as touching anything that they shall ask, it will be given them of my Father which is in heaven. I'm there to manifest the presence of God. I'm there to help those who are in need and are part of my covenant children. Praise God. That He's here today. Amen. Amen. If you came to see me, boy, what a letdown you're going to get. But if you came to... Hey, who amen that? Charles, I want you to take care of that lady. I want you to... You're big enough to handle her. I can't... I, I don't do I don't do that anymore. That big A man. What do you think about sheep like this? Even crazy sheep need a pastor, right? Right? Okay. Amen. In this world, you shall have tribulation. I want you to see the difference in his peace and the peace that the world cannot give you. And some people think I've become a Christian. That's the end of my problems. No, that's the start of the war. Amen. In this world, you shall have tribulation. 
but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And I've come to live in you. Not just to be with you, but to be in you. And I will abide with you. The Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son. They said, we're going to make our abode with you. When you come to me, we're moving in. We're moving in. Your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body's the temple of God. And when we all come together, the temple makes up the church. All these temples make up the church. For we are a building fitly framed together, the Scripture said, for a habitation of God through the Holy Spirit. Isn't that an incredible thing? I mean, we're all on different levels of spiritual maturity and spiritual growth. We're all on a particular journey that's His purpose in each one of our lives varies. But we're all in it together. Fitly framed together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. That means God wants every child of His to acknowledge, amen, that He wants to live within you. And He has, in fact, come to abide with you. And when you sense His presence, oh, wow. David said, by thee, O Lord, I've run through a troop and I've jumped over a wall. Praise God. Well, I was running through troops and jumping walls until I had nervous exhaustion because I didn't commit my cares to the Lord. I wore it as a badge of my sacrifice in order to minister the gospel. I took on me what I should have given to God. Amen. And I learned a hard lesson because God brought me through it. He didn't deliver me from it. I wouldn't have learned that lesson if, if he just if I just went and had prayer and not any had any more pressure and any more problems. I wouldn't have learned what I have learned about the shield of faith. I wouldn't have learned what I learned about the grace. I would have never discovered the sufficiency of his grace, but I know it now. And I can tell you whatever anointing may come on me by the grace of God, I am whatever I have become. Nothing more and nothing less than God's unmerited favor. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. My faith wavered, but God was faithful. My faith wavered, but God was faithful. So it's Jesus in the midst, Jesus with us and within us. Jesus came into this fallen world, this sinful and rebellious world, this world controlled by Satan and inhabited by the slaves to sin to bring salvation and restore fellowship with God. I love Joel 2.27. And this is what he says to ancient Israel and to us through Christ in the new covenant. And you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. See, he doesn't sit high in his heaven, aloof, separated. He is with us. I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord, your God, and none else. And my people shall never be ashamed. You will never be ashamed. You know, the Bible said, hope maketh not ashamed. Tribulation worketh patience. Patience, experience, experience, hope, and hope maketh not ashamed. What does that mean? If you put your hope in God, you are not going to be disappointed. But you need something. 
You need that peace in your heart in order to be patient. You need that peace in your heart in order to be patient. It's a part of spiritual armor in Ephesians 6 and verse 10. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but powers and principalities, spiritual wickedness in high places, and the rulers of the darkness of this world. Wherefore, take unto thee the whole. That means there's not one piece of that armor that is an absolutely essential to victory. Not one. We've taken the shield of faith and we put it as if that's really all we need. He said the whole armor. Oh, I understand in the King James it says above all. It doesn't mean that you're putting the premium on the shield of faith. It means in addition to everything else, take that shield. In addition to. People go to faith seminars, build their faith to just believe God out of their problems. Believe God in spite, and they lose peace and they don't know what to do because there's a part of the armor that seems like it's not as significant as the helmet and the breastplate and the sword and the shield. And you know what it is? Your feet shot with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Your feet shod. Your fi- Can you imagine a Roman soldier with the entire penelope, the whole armor, to, ready to go to battle, trained in battle, a warrior with no shoes? You know what kind of shoes the Roman soldier wore, and that's what Paul was using figuratively? It was a hobnail boot. Because he could, see, this is all about standing. It's all, all of this is so you can stand. And the hobnail boot or that peace that passes understanding allows you and I to stand and use the shield. Stand and utilize the helmet and the sword and the blessed plate. That's why the devil says, put it all on. But don't put on your hobnail boot so you can stand. Because if you don't stand, you know what God told Israel in the Old Testament? He said, be still. They're in trouble. The enemy has them backed up against the Red Sea. They would have destroyed them that day, but the sun went down. So all night long, the enemy is camped, and they see the fires of the greatest standing army in the world at that time. And they are unarmed, and this warrior army is coming to take vengeance on them as they flee Egypt. All night long, they have been terrorized by the thought of what's going to happen when the sun comes up. So they run to Moses at sunrise because they see this army now is on the move toward them. And they're up against the Red Sea. And they go to the one that led them out to Moses. I told you the buck stops. I'm not Moses. Thank God there's just a few of y'all. He had about three million. (laughs) Almost killed him. Almost killed him. He prayed, Lord, just take me home. I can't take this anymore. I'll be an embarrassment to you. Uh, Somebody's goading, somebody's washing, they want me to deal with it. And I got all these other things. They're lined up at his tent. But this whole nation of Israel is looking to their leader. What shall we do? They're in panic. They're under pressure. Their back is against the wall, literally against the Red Sea. And the scripture said, Be still and know. Scriptures teach to be still and know that he is God.
and to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Be still inside, stand still outside, and know that he is God. So Moses, he don't even know what to do. He's perplexed as well, but he's not in despair. And God said, what do you have in your hand? He said, I I got a rod. He says, stretch it out over the Red Sea. He stretches it out. He does the weak thing. God does the mighty thing. He does the natural thing by faith. God does the supernatural. God does the heavy lifting. Can you say, man, roll the stone away. That's all he asked them to do. Roll the stone away. It's something that you can do by faith. And, the, and of course, logic and reason keeps us from acting on the word. They said, by now he stinketh. Been three days. He's, de- he's decomposing in the heat of, of that area. He said, roll the stone away. Did not I say if you would roll the stone away, you would see the glory of God? Amen. Before he called that man out from death to resurrection, he asked them to do an act of faith. And that act was within their ability to do it. How many could help me roll a stone away to see the glory of God? It's within our ability to do that. But faith without works, everybody say works. Corresponding actions. Corresponding actions. See, all of it involves activity. Faith without works is dead. How dead? Boy, I got a good congregation. That's as dead as you can get. Can you say, man? Faith without corresponding actions. We don't just think faith. We don't just talk faith. Amen. We begin to act that out. We live that thing. I remember when... Charles had so many ups and downs. I tell you, it was a battle for me. And I've been believing God and walking with him for years. But there were so many setbacks. And I remember Elaine keeping us posted. And I remember we pray. And it looked like everything's coming through. And it's going to be behind you. And then there'd be a big setback. Another big setback. And I was saying, Lord, 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 Lord. Oh my, it's, and I felt that getting to me. We're human. We feel these things. Amen. And it was getting to me. And the Lord spoke to me about Charles. And it's easier for me to do this than it was for him because he's the one going through it. But someone had to stand outside of that and continually believe God. And the Lord spoke to me and said, do you believe I heard you when you prayed for Charles? And I said, I know. There's no doubt about it. I know you heard me. Scripture said his eyes are on the righteous. Now, I don't mean sinlessly perfect. I'm talking about being right with God through the saving grace and the blood of Jesus Christ. Can you say man? His eyes are on the righteous. His ears are open to their cry. God says in Jeremiah 33, 3, it's God's 911. Can you say amen? Call on me in the day of trouble. And I will show you great and mighty things that you know not. You're going to see the supernatural happen if you will put your trust in me and express your faith by praying. Call on me. Call on me. Call on me. Call on me. 
He said, do you believe that I heard you? I said, yes. He said, then thank me. Now, that's the most illogical thing I've ever heard. Thank God for healing Charles when there's absolutely no evidence that he's completely healed yet. Thank God for healing Charles even when the report of the doctors and the prognosis is going in reverse. And I remember calling Charles and telling him, he may not remember because there's a lot of things going on, but I remember telling him, the Lord told me to thank God for healing you. And then just, I love Isaiah 53, one, who hath believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed. Can you say amen? And so I decided, okay, I'm going to do that. I'm going to act on faith. And every and every morning when I got up, the first thing I did before praying for myself or any other need, because yours, Charles, was on top shelf at that time, the most immediate, I began to say, thank you, Lord, for healing Charles. And every time I thanked him for healing you, peace began to reign in my heart. That That kind of questioning and fear literally was defeated every time I thanked him before the fact God asked the children of Israel under Joshua's leadership to shout for God has given you the city and there wasn't a crack in that wall he asked them to praise him for victory before the wall had a crack in it let alone falling down shout walk around it And on the seventh day, walk around it seven times. And right at that seventh time, shout. And I looked up that word shout, and it didn't mean put a muffler on it. Can you say amen? I got a friend that bought an $85,000 Cadillac with an engine that can run 200 miles an hour to drive to Publix and back. (laughs) Charles, $85,000. I could buy me two Range Rovers. I could buy me a Ford Explorer and, and, you know, and a travel trailer. And I could go down to the Keys with, and, and watch uh, and eat with Brother Costello when he cooks outside in his tent. And have my air-conditioned travel trailer. But he's got, he can, he can, he, he can, it's programmed into this big screen in that Cadillac. And he just, when I hear him coming, he's showing out. Because you can press a button and the muffler will allow the sound of that big old high compression V8 engine. And I can hear him. In fact, is the neighbors where he lives in the apartment complex. Anybody old school, he's old school. Not just because he's old, but he's just two years older than me. So he's, you know, but I'm old school too. But back in the day, you wanted to keep your battery ready for the next time you crank. Batteries were not all that good. And and the last thing you did before you cut it off was rev it up. It just became a habit. You just, you just stop. And before you turn the key off, you rev it up. Shoot that juice to that battery. Maybe it'll crank next time. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) And it... And so he comes in, roaring in, in his, you know, super-duper, souped-up, supposed-to-be-out-on-a-racetrack Cadillac, and he roars in. The last thing he does, and he loves to hear it. And the neighbor next door wakes up, 
grandkids are spending the weekend. They wake up and they complain. But he can turn it on and off. All he had to do was cut it off, you know, so it didn't make the roar. But it's you spend $85,000 for a high-compression engine. You want somebody to notice, right? <laughs> I mean, come on. So, so he showed me. He said, look at here. He said, you hear this? I said, yeah. Boy, that thing is smooth, isn't it? He said, wait just a minute. He pressed a few buttons on the computer and everything went, you know, I used to do that when I was a kid. <laughs> he spent $85,000 so he could do it for real. And yet, he's never been happy with a car in his life. Something goes wrong. He had a $65,000, what's the... The little black car, the Corvette Stingray, brand, brand. Yes, she drove it. I don't drive it. I, I took him to the doctor, and he wanted me to drive his Cadillac, and I said no. No, you, you, I do not drive somebody's. You know their their sweetest thing they've got, car. Uh, I don't want to. If, if I don't want to, I don't want to go there. Take my old car, Amen. <laughs> if we have a bump up, it's on me. And I won't, I won't have to deal with that. But he's not happy. He's not happy. He's just not happy. He got the the new Corvette, and it has all leather. He had he had a special leather ordered for the dash, not the stock leather that comes with it. And it got a bubble in it, bigger than a hen egg. And he had to take it back and have them work on that. Got it back and something else went wrong with it. In this world, no matter if you're rich and God, he's not rich, but he's single. (laughs) That's not the reason I'm not rich. I want you to know that right now. That didn't sound right, do it? <laughs> Charles, pray for me, brother. I'm going I want to. I want to make sixty years here. I'm working towards sixty. Praise God. No, if my wife wasn't here, I wouldn't be rich. But he had some money, and he did go through some things, and and he's single, and there's nothing left to spend it on but himself and his doggy. Amen. So anyway. He's, he can't find that peace in this world. The money can't buy it. He's, he's, he's troubled. And things go wrong. And, and they gave him a loner when they took the Cadillac in. Because something went wrong with the Cadillac. I, I pulled in in a Buick with 110,000 miles on it to a station, a little old station out on 301, about 20 years ago. I had a Buick. It had 110,000 sweet running little Buick. Boy, I pulled into the station, and there was a guy sitting at the gas pumps with his wife, his grandchildren, and his mother-in-law. And they're sitting there, and I can't pull in. It was a small station. On 301, I'll never forget it. I pulled in waiting for him to move. And he come walking back there slowly. He looked very troubled. And he walked back to me and he said, Sir, I'm embarrassed to ask you this, but can you help me push my car 
away from the pump so you and others can get in until the wrecker comes. And, and I said, yes, sir. And he told me, he said, you know, I'm out for a drive today. I bought this car one month ago. It gave me problems. I took it back to the dealership. They said they fixed it. So I got my mother-in-law, my grandkids. I got, I got my, my, my wife, and we're going out for a drive in my brand-new Cadillac. And it's broke again. It's an electronic problem, and you can't push it off. You can't jump it off. I'm waiting for a wrecker to come and pull it in to get my kids back home. And I'm thinking, here I am in my blessed Buick. With 110,000 miles. Amen. And, and I'm not waiting on a wrecker. It doesn't mean it didn't tear up eventually. It just meant I just felt very blessed. I thought you, you, having money and having this in this world, there's always going to be something. Amen. In this body, this body, there's going to be something. Evangelist, he said, you know, I was preaching victory. I was in a church with a high platform. I forgot, didn't watch, so caught up in preaching and the anointing, I stepped off the platform and broke my leg. And he said, on the way to the hospital to get my leg reset, I'm saying, Lord, what's up? <laughs> I mean, you know, there's things that make you say, what's up with that? I'm your servant. I'm under the anointing. I'm preaching your word. Why did you let? And he said, the Lord told me, I didn't let you do that. I didn't stop you from doing that. He said, son, you're responsible to watch where you're stepping. That's not my job. We'd like to put that off on the Lord, but sometimes we just do foolish things. Well, why didn't God stop me? Because he, you know what he said? He said, while I was laying up in the hospital, questioning God, I got a great compassion for all those people that I was telling how to live in victory. Just, just tell the devil to get out of here. Just claim the blessing. And he said, you know, while I was laying up with that busted leg, I began to think, you know, those people needed some grace and those people need some encouragement and those people need someone to tell them if you have some bad times it don't mean that your faith is failed your father is faithful he loves you but you live in a and I did, I'm saying this you live in a faulty body you live in a fallen world amen but you have a faithful father and he used that incident to bring more compassion to that preacher's heart Everything, he, nothing is wasted. No trial is wasted. God uses it all. All things therefore work together. He doesn't cause it, but he uses it. Since he's got you weakened, he can show you the strength of his grace. And he can't show it to you and you'll never discover it until you come to an end of yourself. Paul was so used to answered prayer, boy, popping it out. He wrote 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. He got translated into heaven. I knew a man, whether in the body or out, I know not. But such a one was caught up into heaven and saw unutterable things. Amen. Listen carefully. He said, I, I, had, a, there was, I had a thorn in my flesh. An emissary from Satan was sent to buffet me. 
In other words, Satan had charged one of his, his demons, one of his imps, one of his minions. You get on that man and don't let up. You fight him tooth and toenail. And he said, it was in the way of what I'm doing for God. It's in the way of my ministry. It's in the way. This is a hindrance. And I besought the Lord three times that he remove it from me. And it's still here. And I'm sick and tired of this. And you know what Paul was saying? What's up? What's up? And finally, God spoke to him and said, Paul, my strength is made perfect in weakness. When you come to the end of yourself and you have only me, you will discover the sufficiency of my grace. But until you do, you will never know that, never comprehend it, never apprehend it, never understand it. The sufficiency of his grace is not for strong people. It's for weak people that trust God in spite of their own weaknesses. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. 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 Grace and mercy. Thank God for it. I discovered in the valley, I discovered the grace of God. And when I discovered the sufficiency of the grace of God, I was able once again to enjoy the peace of God. Amen. And the Bible said it's a peace that passes all understanding. Praise God. Hallelujah. But, but it's a deep, settled peace. Praise God. And they recognized it where I work because I was happy on Monday. And they recognized the deep, settled peace of God that was abiding in my life. What a witness that became. Hallelujah. Let me hurry and finish this. We do have time, but it's, it's time to close. John 20 and verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. This was after Jesus had been crucified publicly. They were hiding. Came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. But he didn't just say it. He showed up in the midst of them. And then he said, Peace be unto you. It's always God in the midst, isn't it? That is the source of peace. It's Christ in the midst of your heart and of your life. And you understanding that and acknowledging that. In the time of trouble, therefore, and in troubled times, there's no greater consolation than the promise of the presence of God. Hallelujah. Psalm 46, 1. 9, 11, as we close, in, nine, in, 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 in this horrific thing that really transcended that day of infamy, Pearl Harbor, December 7th, 1941, a day that will live on in infamy. We've got another day that more people were killed. Non-combatants, innocent people, different walks of life, killed in the World Trade Center terrorist attack. Billy Graham was called to the White House. They assembled, I remember, on our job. Uh, my, the, 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 
and this is so politically incorrect, but in that time of trouble, they threw that stuff out the window. And I remember the plant manager assembling every one, stopping production in a production plant, assembling every one. And he said, you do not have to participate in this if you do not want to. But I believe if we ever prayed for America, we need to pray right now. And we're going to have a silent prayer. If you do not want to be involved, you don't have to. In other words, he's putting his very job on the line by calling a prayer meeting in the middle of a production plant. But he said, we need to pray for America. They called Billy Graham, and Billy Graham had a, a he, he always used Psalm 23 in the time of trouble and troubled people and troubled problems. And the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. And he would emphasize God is with us and God is with you. But he said in this event, this national crisis, he chose the psalm that I'm going to read you in closing. He chose Psalm 46. And, and listen to what it, what it says. God is our refuge and strength. Here's the God in the midst. Listen, a very, very, Emphasis here, a very present help in trouble. A very present help in trouble. Therefore, will not we fear or we will not fear though the earth be removed. This is not a little thing. Though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Though the waters thereof roar and be troubled. Though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. Selah. There is a river. The streams thereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. It's time to quit, and I feel like I'm just getting started. Praise God. Don't nobody amen, and we can stop. There you go. <laughs> Hallelujah. Do you understand what Emmanuel means? It means God is not sitting up there. He's not the man upstairs. He's the God down here. Come to live with us and within us and to abide with us forever by the Holy Spirit. Praise God. And then the time of trouble, amen, he's not just the most high God. He's the most nigh God. Call upon me in the time of trouble. Psalm fifty fifteen, And offer that thanksgiving that we did this morning. And call upon me in the time of trouble. I will deliver you. And thou shalt glorify me. Can you say man? Hallelujah. I've learned to call upon him in the time of trouble. Hallelujah. In fact, I've learned to call upon him when there isn't any trouble because I know it's going to be sooner or later. It's not over. I'm still, while we're at home in the body, we're separate from the Lord. But Paul said, I'm willing to be absent from the body, be present with him because he was under the pressure. But he found a peace. He found a peace. He discovered a peace through the sufficiency of God's grace, the promise of his presence. 
that took him through all of his trials and all of his testings. Thank God for the peace that comes as we acknowledge the presence of God with us. Amen. Sometimes we look to feel something and our our emotions are so involved in the pressure that we can't sense the presence. But I'll tell you what you can sense, and that's the peace. And if I would rather have goosebumps or peace, what would you choose? In the, in the real bottom line, nitty-gritty, give me the peace. Because if you shout and run around the building and you don't have peace, you're going to still go out troubled. But if you achieve the peace of God and walk out saying, God is with me, God is for me, God is within me, and greater is he that's within me than he that's in the world, you will have peace. And it's a peace that passes all understanding. And it's a result of just giving it all to God. In all things, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. That means pray with gratitude in your heart, giving thanks while you pray. Even if you don't see any difference, you feel bad, you feel awful, the circumstances are against you, but you thank him. And you give him praise. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And something happens before the answer comes. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will keep. The word keep is like a a keep used to be a castle with a moat and a drawbridge and great walls. They called it a keep, a fortress. Your mind will be fortified against fear. And I always put it this way, as your faith grows out of an understanding of where God is in relation to you and how willing he is to help you, amen, fear will knock on your door. And you will send faith to answer the door. And faith will say, there's nobody there. Can you say, man, God is good today. Will you stand to your feet? Let's give him some praise. Hallelujah. Did you, did you, the offering? Oh, thank you so much. Amen. You would think we didn't need it. <laughs> that but Nothing could be farther from the truth. The offering is right here, but I ask you to give as God leads you. And I want to thank you. You know, if you were driving an $85,000 Cadillac and, and you gave, it would still be great. But I don't drive an $85,000 vehicle. How about you? Amen. So when you give and when we give, it's sacrificial giving. And it means so much more to God and so much more to us. And we thank you from the bottom of our heart. God's going to do more than thank you. God's going to open the windows of heaven pour you out a blessing. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, for this service, for this season, for this Savior that you have sent to us so you could come to us in flesh and so you could indwell us by the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the help we received, the help that you offer, the help that we're going to have. Twas grace that brought us safe thus far. And the same grace will lead us home. In Jesus' name, and everyone said amen and amen.